I'm David Smith, and you're listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. In this series, we'll be talking with researchers and educators who are working to understand how Christian faith affects teaching, learning, and the way we do education. Steve was, uh, I, I was really happy that Steve was on the team because, because, uh, because he's good at numbers and I'm not. And uh, so having just uh, listened to Steve share some, some, some findings that were based very much in statistical work, what I thought that I would do for contrast in my little uh, segment here is actually let you listen to the voices of some students because uh, one of the really fascinating parts of the, of the research experience was actually getting to sit in rooms with groups of high school students, middle school students, and just ask them questions about their experience and listen for repeated themes and code those up and so on, and then compare those to the other data sources. So I'm going to introduce you to, to two of my favorite uh, student quotations that, uh, that, that came out of our data that, that have had me thinking since. And the first one links directly to what uh, Steve was, was just now talking about. In the parent focus groups, there was this very clear anxiety that, that if students use laptops more, if they use iPads more, they're going to have more access to harmful material. And particularly, people were concerned about, uh, about violent material, about video games. But a frequent theme that came through was, was pornography. And students can be accessing more pornography. And we just seen some statistical data that suggested that while it was present, that was actually an area where they were doing perhaps relatively well. In fact, when we spoke to administrators in, in focus groups, they, they, they felt that finding students using school devices to access pornography was actually quite rare. But there was another abuse of school devices that nobody talked about in any of our parent focus groups. It didn't come up as an articulated anxiety. And yet we were able to observe it in classroom observations and students talked about it very openly in focus groups. And it was interesting to me that when students in focus groups talked about accessing things like pornography, they did so with an apparent awareness that this might be a shameful thing to admit having done, that this might be a, you know, a behavior that's not, not sanctioned. Whereas when they talked about this other abuse, they talked about it very openly as if this were a birthright. It was, uh, this was just the, the normal thing you do with technology. So here's one student encapsulating, uh, I've deliberately delayed the reveal here so that you can start wondering what this, what this frequent abuse of, of devices was. Um, here's one student talking about it. This student's talking about why it's a really good thing that you can learn with laptops in a Bible class. The student said, in some ways it's good because you can obviously type faster on your computer and you can take notes faster, you can share them faster and email faster. Also in that class, because once you get your notes done and the teacher's talking, you can go shopping or do whatever you want. So the student's telling us the great thing about having laptops is, first of all, it lets you do all the learning stuff faster, and that frees up time within class to go shopping. This was something it wasn't difficult to observe in the classroom observations that students seemed quite willing to do right in front of the camera when we were recording um, classrooms. Students were very good at task switching, at uh, pulling the screen back up that they were supposed to be working on when the teacher walked by. Uh, there was this common abuse of devices, which was just flipping over onto, uh, onto a shopping site and browsing various kinds of goods. Um, and this raised a number of questions for us because first of all, this, this, this whole question of, is it a good thing that, that the technology just, just lets you go faster so that you skim through the learning material so you then get to do whatever, right? It's just creating more space for you to, you know, just freewheel. Uh, but then specifically, one of the things that's changing here with devices is that, is that marketing of consumer goods is being beamed right into the, uh, let's say the math class or the Bible class. 
And so here we've got a student sitting in a Bible class, and the great thing about the laptop is that while the teacher is talking, presumably about the Bible, they can go shopping. So it was striking that there was this communal concern about pornography, about violence, but there wasn't as much of a conversation about materialism, about consumerism, and what kinds of formation were taking place in classroom in relation in the classroom in relation to those themes. So this is one example of a finding that came up that we weren't quite expecting. And it's always encouraging when you go into an empirical study and you find things that you weren't looking for. It's another clue that you might be onto something. You didn't just make it all up. And this connects to a second student quote that I want to share with you, which uh, has to do with a related issue. And this is actually two students talking about what happens when teachers give them homework. The first one said, we'll ask our teachers, can we just skim through for the answers? And they'll say, no. I actually want you to read it. And like one of my teachers did that, and I diligently read it and took notes because I just do that. And I know a lot of people did because he actually emphasized that it's important to read it. Whereas most teachers I get, I kind of skim it and look for the answers. And a second student chimed in. In other classes, they just say, here's your reading assignment, and then fill out the worksheet. And it's easy to just do Apple F and find where the answers are to each of the questions. There's a lot going on in these two paragraphs. It, it seems to me that, that these two students are selling us two contradictory stories about what's happening. So the first story we're being offered is a story about virtuous teachers and virtuous students. And um, so teachers say to us, no, I actually want you to read it because teachers are people who care about deep reading and careful thought and really engaging seriously with the text. And because the student is a virtuous student, they do what the teacher says and they diligently read it and they took notes because they're just that kind of person. Um, their inherent virtue as a good conscientious student makes them read things carefully and take notes and get everything done. But there's a second story in which, in fact, most teachers don't give instructions about how to read things. They just tell you to read them. They just say, get to page 43 by tomorrow. Um, they just say, fill out the worksheet and answer the first 10 questions. And it was really only one teacher that actually emphasized how you were supposed to read the text that was assigned. And therefore, it turns out that this same student who's just told us, I just do that, I'm just this virtuous student who does things carefully, in fact, most of the time just kind of skims stuff. And the second student confirms that when they just say, here's your reading assignment, then you just use Apple F, right? You just search for the answers and copy them across into the, into the worksheet. And this is just one of, of, of a pattern of other pieces of data suggesting that, that the use of technology might have been reinforcing um, a task completion mindset. Which is, which is something that can happen in schools where students start to believe that what's, what teachers really care about most at the end of the day is getting stuff done, is turning stuff in on time, is getting question 10 on the worksheet, is reading to page 45. What teachers care about is not so much the thinking or how you're changing or how you're growing, it's getting stuff done and turned in on time and being productive. And the way the technology is reinforcing that is by providing quicker ways, like the first student talked about, right? Laptops let you go faster, quicker ways to get to the answer without doing the thinking. And we saw confirmation of this because, of course, here we've just got a couple of student quotations. We don't want to build too much on this without looking at our other data sources. So if we compare this to the surveys, we ask students, how much do you agree that the way technology used in school has done the following? Has it allowed you to find answers without really understanding them? Now, blue is agreeing. Um, the light blue is neutral. So you can see here a majority of students are agreeing with that statement. The technology is letting me find answers without understanding them. Is it leading you to look for quick and easy answers to problems? More than half, again, um, practically three quarters are saying yes to that. Has it encouraged you to skim over material when you know you should be reading carefully? 
um, a good third are saying, yes, I agree, it's, it's, it's helping me to do that. Now, at the same time, we didn't go into this study trying to show that technology is a bad thing and it has all these problems. And so you also then go looking in the data for, is there anything that weighs against this, that pushes in a different direction? And so I just added onto this slide a couple of findings from a different table. Um, did technology help you to understand difficult ideas in my class? Well, three quarters say, yes, it did. Did it help you develop ideas beyond what was presented in class assigned materials? Four-fifths are saying, yes, it did. So we've got more than one process going on at the same time here. The technology seemed to be um, helping students to explore, to extend, to understand. They can go check the teacher's explanation on a website. They can use software of various kinds to explore problems. And at the same time, especially if teachers are not really careful about how they give instructions, which to me is the interesting rider here. What do you say when you hand out the homework? It's reinforcing this tendency to look for answers without understanding them, to search for answers, copy them into the worksheet, skim over stuff instead of reading it, which might still make it seem like you're getting a ton of stuff done and might leave you time to go shopping at the end of class, but it's not clear that it's actually helping you learn anything. And I'll pass over to Marge at that point. Okay, and I am going to share um, a video from um, Kara Sevensma with her part. Hi everyone, my name is Kara Sevensma and I am part of the research team that's presenting for you today about our findings in Digital Life Together. Um, I'm going to share findings that came from the folks who we considered exemplary teachers. Those were ones that um, their colleagues in the school pointed to as teachers we should watch because they were intentional and thoughtful in the ways they use technology. With only six or seven minutes here, I'm sharing three lessons that we learned from those teachers that will hopefully be takeaways for you. So let's get started. The first lesson is that teachers are making very informed and intentional choices about how to integrate digital technologies into their teaching. We find across the school in our surveys that when you integrate technology, nearly 80% of teachers find themselves thinking more critically about their own pedagogy because of that integration. And so what we see our exemplary teachers doing is making these intentional and complex choices about how to integrate technology and even if to integrate technology. So one of the first questions that teachers often talked about or asked was, does the technology we're going to choose to integrate increase the learning? Um, teachers often chose to integrate technologies that were powerful or increased efficiency or organization. These would be apps or softwares that help students write more quickly uh, or maybe help students gain new perspectives of geographic features across the globe or simulate um, repetitions of experiments. Those types of technologies were embraced because they were thought to be increasing student learning. But at the same time, these teachers rejected a lot of technologies, digital technologies, that is. So they looked at math apps that the students found engaging and fun, but covered very little substantive learning. Or they found great content area websites that were, again, appealing and engaging, but they lacked the specific focus or depth needed for the, particu the particular unit or for the content. This question of effectiveness was one of the first that teachers often talked about, but it certainly wasn't the only one. Science teachers in particular spent a lot of time asking questions about embodiment and imperfection. 
So despite the usefulness of digital simulations in their classrooms, they also recognized a need for students to be in touch with the real world. For example, we had science teachers describe to us how creating virtual circuits seemed to somehow diminish the sense of wonder and the satisfaction that was experienced by students who made a real light bulb glow by completing a physical circuit. Or we heard chemistry teachers who described the fact that the embodied experience of creating a gas or performing titrations with their own hands helped students experience the imperfections of reality. They learned that chemistry in the real world is not a perfect computer simulation. Um, the imperfection adds to the Christian perspective of teaching and um, the concept that everything is not going to go perfectly. This is part of God's natural world. Um, it's imperfect. And so experiencing that and having that embodied experience became an important consideration in whether or not to use digital tools in their um, lessons and in their unit. These are just some of the examples from the book of the very thoughtful questions that teachers were asking as they made informed and intentional choices about whether or not to use and integrate digital technologies. I encourage you to take a look in the book because there are far more to guide some of your thinking about what it means to teach well with technology. On to lesson two. Our research findings also helped highlight another unique characteristic that many of our kind of exemplary technology teachers shared. As they were adapting and as they were designing their lessons and their units in consideration of digital technologies, they were able to create what Parker Palmer calls a capacity for connectedness. So a capacity for connectedness is this ability to weave a complex web of connections among themselves and their subjects and their students so that students then learn to weave a world for themselves. We saw this, for example, as a math teacher turned a powerful encounter with an online news article into an opportunity for him to reimagine his existing math unit. Um, he was moved by a news story about the impact of the global water crisis on women and children in developing nations. And from that, he considered ways to invite students into an awareness of and a response to those injustices. So he redesigned the lessons that he had on scaling and percentages, ratios and fractions by asking students to use the internet to investigate um, the real world statistics and facts about the impact of the water crisis in some of these underdeveloped nations. The students then use their math skills to compare statistics between populations in the countries that they researched and their own school population. And then finally, the students reflected on what God called them to do in light of or in response to the inequalities and injustices that they had just learned about. This lesson certainly is imaginative and innovative, but more than that, it highlights the way the teacher bridged his passions and his convictions with the curriculum. He took what broke his heart and what inspired him, and he wanted to respond to that. He brought that into the curriculum along with the digital technology to support the learning. And it was this that created that web of connectedness that resonated with students. And the final lesson that we leave you with today is failing forward. 
all of our exemplary teachers understood that teaching with digital technology is sometimes a risky venture. You can try new devices and new approaches to curriculum with technology. They do not always go the way that you planned. And in taking that risk, you open yourself up to failure. Having this openness to failure and being able to embrace that and then share that failure and your vulnerability with students, model what it looks like to respond gracefully and then to move forward in those moments of failure. Um, those offer incredible opportunities to teach students a great lesson. Failure is part of being a learner. It's part of our growth and it's part of God's plan for who we're becoming. So when we take the time to model for students how to fail forward, we teach them those things. We teach them that they can take risks, that they can feel okay to fail, that they can learn and that they can grow. And this is part of God's plan for them. And that's what I leave you with today. So I hope you enjoyed these findings and I'm going to send you on to uh, the next presenter. Thank you. So David talked a little bit about the efficiencies of the technologies and parents and teachers also talked about the efficiencies and how wonderful it was that they could very easily communicate with each other. And teachers talked about how great it was that they could quickly um, upload student work to their blogs so that parents could see what children were doing in the classrooms. And that, that, that story just kept resonating, how people appreciated that increased communication. But then we started hearing some, some other sounds, uh, some parents also saying, you know, it's great. I love it when I'm sitting at work and bing, here comes this email from the teacher and I get to look at my students' project and I get to delight in it at work and that's, that's wonderful. But then I forget about it. And when I go home, I don't talk to my child about it because it was at work, it's out of my mind. It's not like I'm going into their backpack and pulling it out and talking with them about it. So I think that was a surprising thing to realize also that there are differences, right? And as we think about the technologies and technology as a social practice, how is it impacting our relationships and the ways that what we are doing together? So some parents were talking about how they needed to start asking their child at home about what they had done, even though there wasn't something sitting on the table, a paper or something else. So we appreciated hearing from them those insights that the artifacts, the paper pieces are important as well as the digital and timing is important as well. Teachers also talked about um, their workload. And I'm just going to highlight one. It was interesting observing one of those um, teachers who, I mean, it was a case study teacher. So it was someone who was making thoughtful, intentional choices about their pedagogy and how they were using the technology. And when I was observing, um, students were typing on their um, laptops, they were sitting in groups, but working individually because they were doing article summaries. They were working on a project together, but individually they were doing article summaries. So they were typing them. And then as the class neared its ending time, I heard the printer going and all of these 
printed papers were coming out and students were putting them in a folder and then handing them into the teacher. And so I, I talked with the teacher and just saying, so tell me about that choice. Why are they printing, right? We, we hear about how we're going to save paper. And the teacher said, well, there are two reasons. First of all, when they are going to be sharing their articles with each other, I find that if they are just using the digital version, it's much easier to skim uh, what David talked about, right? Skimming for what you need. And she said, if there are papers, then they can highlight and they can talk more about it around the table. So that was a choice for, for her pedagogy of how she wanted um, students to engage in the ideas together. But then she also said, it is, I have 120 students and if I need to open and close 120 do documents, that takes me much longer and I need to be in a certain place to do that. Whereas if I have these folders, I can be writing on them, on the papers much more quickly and getting feedback to them more quickly than I could if I were opening all the documents. So the, the teacher workload, how they were dealing with the technologies and recognizing that it wasn't always faster to use the digital version um, was a really important consideration as well. There are many more things about the teacher workload too, as they found out that they were on much longer than um, they had prior to technology. So instead of seeing students from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., they were available to their students till 10 p.m. at night. And we had conversations where we heard teachers talking about uncertainties of when they should be stopping and when it was okay to stop. So one of the administrators talked about this, this need to discuss this as a community as well. And um, this administrator said, we are in, wanted to really emphasize, we are inherently valuable as spouses, as children, as parents, as siblings, but also as children of God. You are not just a teacher. Do not believe that lie. Do not be here all the time. Go home. That's a concern of mine because this Midwestern culture of do, 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 I'm still coping with that, to be frank. It's busy here, and I do not want to create a culture where my staff believes they're only what they do and the lesson plans they create or don't create and the experiences they give. We need a larger picture of what life is not only in Christ, but in giving to their families, their friends, and their communities. And so do not just be the teacher who's here 12, 13, 15, 16 hours a day. That's not good for anyone. As David and I led a course this summer on Christian witness in a COVID-shaped world, and we engaged with the ideas, especially after teachers in our class had experienced moving totally online, right? So in our book, these, these teachers were dealing with technology and face-to-face -face situations and online at home as students were working on there in the evening. But we know that in the pandemic, most schools went online. And so 
um, we really heard from teachers that that workload change and the need to balance and and how do we do that and so I think that is one thing that we carry forward of all right here's some ways that this school was thinking about it and dealing with it and some challenges they gave all of us to continue considering that so we hope that you are considering right as we all here continue to to work in between digital and face-to-face -face, um, learning so I am going to turn it back over to Brian so that we can um, have some conversations, some questions um, that may might come um, that we can answer. Thanks, Marge, and thanks to all of the authors, uh, all the researchers here. This uh, this has been a fascinating topic, and you walked us through the really practical questions that people think of immediately, and then the sort of deeper questions that each educator thinks of and and students actually think of as they consider how technology work i'm gonna i know we can't ask kara so i'm gonna throw this out to all three of you and uh it's the unfair question you know when we enter uh, a research experience it changes us and so prior to going in you all were thoughtful educators and you thought about what you did with technology or didn't do with technology in the classroom and uh, perhaps had uh, variations in different classes i wonder was there something you adjusted was there something that you discovered that changed the way you do something now um, in terms of whether or not you bring technology in or how you use technology uh, in one of your classes. If you can come up with an example, that would be really helpful. I can throw out an example that's directly related to what I presented. Uh, that, that little snippet about the you know the students saying most teachers just say here's your homework. It's made me put a lot of thought over the last three four months actually as we've moved into online courses or hybrid courses uh, about when setting courses up, when setting assignments up, when when setting things uh, up to go online. The kind of instructions that don't only talk about this is what we need to get done, this is this is the task you need to complete, etc. But to talk about how we're going to collaborate with each other, how you're going to read this text, how are you meant to grow by reading this text, and to try to be much more explicit about not just we're trying to get something done and this technology is a tool that helps us get it done, but we're actually trying to grow in a certain way and we're trying to create a learning environment that that helps that growth. And if it doesn't help that growth, then it then it then it wasn't a success. So I think it's been helping me to continue to get more explicit about what kind of change I'm looking for when I assign something or when I write a syllabus or uh, when I set up a learning activity, um, especially online. I would say this study has helped me think more and I seek to be more intentional about practices with technology in terms of life practices and talking with students about when I will answer emails or when I mean, the fact that Sundays are Sabbath for me and setting that side of time. And I think in the past, I felt much more that I need to be available all the time and just being honest with students and trying to model that as well. I think some of this came along with when I was with students in Zambia and we were walking and talking and we didn't have cell service then we were out in a rural area and i asked the students so what are you noticing and they said 
were looking at each other and talking to each other. And so I think that was a part of that was just before this whole study began. And so just really thinking about the practices and the way that they connect us with each other or disconnect us as well. Let me just pitch in a little bit here. Um, I think I found a, a couple of things uh, certainly changed the way I think about technology. Uh, one of the most notable is, is I now think of the choice of what technology we're going to use as a choice about how the community is going to operate, right? It's the, the, the structure of the way we communicate and the way we interact has just such a big impact on the kind of interactions that follow. And, um, and I was much less uh, worried about the impacts on community prior to having, you know, six years of conversations with, uh, with my colleagues here, but then also with the students and with the teachers and, uh, and the parents. Um, in terms of actual teaching, um, I am, like, uh, like Marge and David, I'm a lot more thoughtful, I think, about what kinds of things can be online and what kinds of things need people interacting with one another in person. And in this era in which our classes are turning into these hybrid things, that's a, that's a really useful thing to be able to think through. And, and all of the conversations we've had about the, about, about the pitfalls and also the strengths of various digital formats, have, I think have really helped me to, to think through those kinds of questions in, in this weird spot that we find ourselves in as teachers. Thank you to all of you. And I guess uh, I wanna thank all of you again. Oh, we have, I'm gonna throw out one more question. Says it might not be fair, but I guess we'll go ahead and go with it. How would you tackle the challenge of implementing 100% remote learning for elementary students? And how would you sustain the Christ-centered ethos of community and human flourishing for those elementary age children in that age range? Yeah, easy. Uh, you have one minute. <laughs> wow. It isn't a fair question, but it is a fair question because this is what teachers are dealing with, right? Um, that they are wrestling with. And um, I guess one thing I would put forward is to think about remote learning does not necessarily have to mean all learning is on the computer. David and I have talked before in our class too of what are activities that you can say, here's something to do with your family. Here's an exploration you need to do. You need to go observe this. You need to go interview a neighbor or something like that to include incorporate those sorts of activities. In, in the class that a colleague and I taught this spring, students, because they couldn't be in their practicum, they had to teach someone in their life. Um, they had to model something to someone in their life. It didn't have to be digital, right? And so I think we can think beyond that remote learning doesn't have to just be on a screen, but there are ways to interact with people and build those communities there as well. My two cents. Looks like we got the thumbs up from your other presenters, and I think that's fantastic. We've all learned to communicate with our thumbs much more uh, in this environment, exactly. Again, thank you very much for uh, writing this book. Thank you for sharing it in this forum. Uh, and uh, thank you for all the work that you do with your students. I think it's been helpful as we all kind of endeavor in this uh, project of Christian education uh, in whatever setting we work uh, around the world.
You've been listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. Learn more at www.pedagogy.net.